If you are listening right now, I have prayed for you. I do not know your name or your needs, but God does. God knows your name and God knows your needs, and he is able to meet every one of them. Know that at any time, you can visit southsidebaptist.net slash prayer to share a specific prayer request. It would be my joy and the joy of Southside Baptist Church to partner with you in that prayer and walk in the journey from prayer to praise with you. This message you're about to hear is the next installment of a preaching series through the letter of 1 Corinthians to the church. In this text, the apostle answers a question from the church in Corinth about knowledge. If we have the mind of Christ, how do we then think like Christ? What do we do with the knowledge that we have received? And this question comes to light through a particular set of circumstances surrounding food that had been sacrificed to idols. Should Christians eat of it or should they refrain? The apostle goes about answering this question by encouraging the church to think theologically. Doing so will result in a very real outcome called love. This sermon preaches from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, and is called Love Builds Up. Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Love builds up. That is the title of this message, Love Builds Up. And that's the phrase lifted from our text in verse one. You see it there, love builds up. But this title is not offered to us as a theme or the main theme for this letter to the church in this chapter. Instead, it's offered more as a hint, a preview of coming attractions. Perhaps we can think of it like this. Uh, It's like an archeological dig. There is something there deposited in the ground and the apostle tells us what it is. It is love. But for now, it's still covered in soil, disguised from full view. Love is not going anywhere. It remains where it is, but it comes into view more and more as the soil is brushed away carefully and methodically, bit by bit, without fanfare, until finally love is fully exposed later in this letter, chapter 13. In keeping with this archeological analogy, some of the dirt being brushed away in chapter eight that reveals more of this thing that is love is called knowledge. And knowledge can be dirty. It is said today that someone can be too smart for their own good. 
while knowledge is prized as something that reveals because it is the content of what is known, that's what knowledge is, this same knowledge may at the same time conceal. It can blind and restrict our point of view to our detriment and the detriment of others. If we know too much about one thing and allow that knowledge to itself become a God to us, an idol, then it will consume us and control us so that we no longer see the big picture or the meaning of that knowledge. Jesus said this about the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the religious teachers and leaders. Jesus said that they sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse two. This means that the scribes and the Pharisees had knowledge of God's law, God's instruction, and that was good. But Jesus then said, but do not the works that they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. Something was wrong with their vast knowledge to the point that Jesus even called them blind guides. What they knew was correct, but they could not deploy what they knew for the good of others. Not only was their knowledge useless then, it was even harmful. To the lawyers, Jesus said in like manner, Luke 11, verse 52, woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. What is the key of knowledge? How is knowledge a blessing and not a curse? In the world that the church existed in, in Corinth, knowledge was prized. It fueled, as Praben Vang calls it, a culture of pride, prominence, and personal rights. Because of my knowledge, I am best. I am first, and I am owed. And may I suggest to us that our culture has not departed much from this either, has it? Pride, prominence, personal rights, these things prevail in the politician and even in the patriot. Do we not see this? Our culture tells us to battle over what we know to show that our knowledge is supreme. But if we have learned anything about the church of God and the identity of the church of Christ, the word that describes God's church is Christian for a reason. We are Christians. We are in Christ. And here what the apostle has already said is true of us being in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says, we have the mind of Christ, not the mind of an elephant, not the mind of a donkey, the mind of Christ. 
we, the church, have the mind of Christ and pride, prominence, and personal rights are directly opposed to the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And so the question becomes, how do we think like Christ? As Christians, what do we do with knowledge? What do you think? The apostle begins by informing the church that there is something that we ought to know. There's something that we ought to know. The words in verse one, now concerning, introduce something new for us. Look with me at chapter eight, verse one. Now concerning food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. This is how we know that the church in Corinth must have been a Baptist church because the apostle says, now concerning food. There it is, right in your Bible. But the apostle is not talking about food in general here. He's answering a question about a specific kind of food. This is food which has been dedicated to false gods. This is meat that was associated with the worship of the pagan gods. Offerings to idols. The Christians in Corinth needed the apostle to answer for them in the simplest form whether or not this food offered to idols was okay for Christians to eat. While this question seems foreign to us, several commentators point out that this remains an issue still in certain parts of the world among missionaries serving in foreign lands. Perhaps we come close to this question when we enter into a certain kind of buffet restaurant and pass by on the way in and out a shrine to a Buddha or to another foreign deity. Should a Christian eat at such a place, obviously dedicated to an idol? Does this say anything about our witness? What becomes of our money when we pay for that meal in that place? Or are we just there for the good food? Is it just a matter of eating a meal after all? Notice that there are two ingredients to this question that was asked of the apostle. The first ingredient is the food itself. The text says now concerning food offered to idols. The second ingredient is knowledge. Look with me again at verse one. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Notice the question marks in your text around the phrase, all of us possess knowledge. This is probably a quote from the original letters that the Corinthians wrote to the apostle with their question, and likely represents a slogan, another slogan promoted by the culture in Corinth. It's not just a matter of the food itself, but that we know what kind of food it is, and we know where that food has been, knowledge. What do we do? to eat or not to eat. The problem 
O Apostle, is our knowledge. This issue of knowledge became a problem for the Pharisees as they watched the life and ministry of Jesus. On one occasion, a Pharisee invited Jesus to eat with him at this Pharisee's house. Luke chapter 7, 37 tells us that, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, you can imagine what's implied in that phrase, a woman of the city, a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Did Jesus have knowledge of what kind of woman this was? Jesus knew. Well, what about the time when the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus to hear him? And in Luke 15, verse two, it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Did Jesus have a knowledge of the kind of people he was receiving and eating with? Jesus knew. Jesus knew something that the Pharisees and scribes did not. Jesus had a better knowledge. Verse one again, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge by itself is very dangerous. Without something to restrain knowledge, it becomes unbalanced and is dangerous. What restrains knowledge? What balances it? The answer is love. Knowledge by itself serves self. Knowledge in action is love. It serves the other. I wanna take us all to grammar school to see something amazing in the scripture about what the apostle is doing here. The apostle is taking a noun and turning it into a verb. The apostle is taking a thing and turning it into an action. The apostle wants us to see how the knowledge of Jesus is a knowledge that acts. And this is a knowledge that they ought to have. Watch this in the text. This knowledge, he says, it's a noun, that's a thing. This knowledge puffs up. It causes an increase, it inflates. And who does it inflate? Me. What happens to a balloon if you inflate it with too much air? It pops, that is bad. The apostle doesn't want us to think about knowledge like an air in a balloon, but instead like water in a nice, multi-tiered garden fountain. Too much air in a balloon will cause the balloon to pop. But what happens, church, to water in a nice, multi-tiered garden fountain? At first, the water is turned on and the pump carries it up to the top. 
and it fills the top reservoir with water until what happens? It overflows and then begins to fill up the second tier until what happens? It overflows until ultimately all three tiers are overflowing and we have this beautiful sound of moving water in a multi-tiered garden fountain. What's the difference between these two things, the balloon and the fountain? The air in the balloon serves itself. It's building up the individual me. And that's not what Paul means when he uses that word build up. It's never an individualized building up. The water in the fountain reservoir overflows to serve the other reservoirs. It's building up not of the individual, but of the community, of the church. And that is what Paul means when he uses this word build up, building up of the church, the community of Christ. The air in the balloon is knowledge as a noun. It stays put, it's stationary, it blows up. The water in the fountain is knowledge as a verb. It's knowledge on the move, it's knowledge put to action. That's love, it builds up. Craig Blomberg says it this way, love not knowledge must form the foundation of Christian behavior, of Christian action. When it comes to what we do as Christians, what we do is not determined by what we know, but by who we love. That's Christianity. What we do is not informed by what we know, but by who we love. Matthew 22 says this, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer again, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, he asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus talking, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know his word? Do you want to grow in knowledge? You can't without this twofold love. First, a supreme love of God, and second, a love of neighbor. These are the things that God cares about. Verse two, 1 Corinthians chapter eight goes on. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. There exists a knowledge that we think we have and also a knowledge that we ought to have. There exists a knowledge that we imagine we have without certainty and also a knowledge that we must have with certainty. Do you think you have come into some knowledge? You have attained it, you have arrived, you know it all now? And the apostle says you know nothing. The knowledge we ought to have, the knowledge we must have is explained in the next verse. It is not knowledge that begins with us. Instead, it is knowledge that begins with God. Look at verse three. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. 
God is brought into this discussion. Theology is brought into view. Theology, the very word, means the knowledge of God. The apostle wants us to know that needful knowledge is godly knowledge, knowledge of God that is received by God, from God. This is where knowledge becomes a verb, an action. Look at the text, but if anyone loves God, that's an action, he is known by God, knowledge as an action. In other words, godly knowledge exists in an active relationship called loving God. What does John say, 1 John 4, 19? We love because he, being God, first loved us. And the same is true of knowledge. We know God, why? Because God reveals himself to us first. God gives us knowledge of himself. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, it's not enough, church, just to know about God. We have to love God. That's necessary. This has always been a grave danger for churchgoers. You go to church and fill your mind with knowledge, and it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't manifest itself in any kind of faith or obedience in action. So it puffs you up and inflates you until spiritually you're convinced you're in Christ because of your weighty knowledge. But the scriptures say you have not love. You don't obey. You are being destroyed by that kind of knowledge. You're about to burst. You want to show how much you know about God? Don't sign up to be a teacher in the church. Instead, show your love. Love shows more about our knowledge of God than facts. Love shows that we know enough about God to trust him by faith. Loving God is the source of knowledge. And the text says that it is not only the, that God loves us, but here God knows us. Verse three again, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. One of the great passages about God's love in all the Bible is preceded with these words, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The apostle asked earlier in this letter, 1 Corinthians 4, verse seven, he says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything we have comes from God, knowledge included. Godly knowledge is received by God and because of this, the church is exhorted to first know God, and second, to live as those who are known by God. Live as one who knows God, 
Love as one whom God knows. Live as one who knows God. Look at verse four with me. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. And so the apostle says we must think theologically. We must have a knowledge that is grounded not in what we think we know, but in what has been revealed by God about God. To answer your question, O Corinthians, about food offered to idols, we must use our knowledge about what we know, not about that food itself, but about God. Think theologically. What God has revealed about himself gives us everything that we need to know in order to answer our questions in this world. Verse five, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, that is, by the way, the viewpoint of this world that we're in. Some religions are polytheistic, many gods. Some people believe in one God, but live as if there are many. They're controlled by passions. They allow passions to master them and become Lord over them. They serve many lords. The apostle says we Christians are different. Look at verse six. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. We exist, we live as those who know God, the one God, the true God. And this is a confession of faith that shapes our lives. This one God, the Father, is creator. We live for him and for his glory. This one God, Jesus Christ, this means Jesus is God. What a strong doctrinal statement this is. Jesus is God and through him, all things were created and through him, through Jesus, we live. And through him, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in our hearts by faith, Christ in us, the hope of glory. There is one God, his name is Jesus Christ. And that confession is the beginning of godly knowledge. And by that confession, all questions are filtered as we think about God to answer our questions. The apostle would have each Christian live as one who knows God, but also to love as one whom God knows. Our knowledge of God is not meant to stay with us. It is to be transferred to another so that they might know God too. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Look at the reality. You Corinthians say all of us possess knowledge. Well, here's the truth. Verse seven, however, not all possess this knowledge but some through former association with idols eat food is really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Some don't know as you know. Some aren't as strong in knowledge as you are. 
And you were so puffed up, O Corinthians, with your knowledge, you couldn't see the weak. Praise be to God that God did not overlook our weaknesses because of his infinite knowledge. Psalm 103, verse 14 says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Godly knowledge does not blind. Verse eight, the apostle says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. It's not about food. Do you hear this, church? It's not about food. It's not about masks. It's not about social distancing. It's not about vaccines. It's not about race. It's not about gender. It's not about politics. It's not about nationality. It's not about constitutional rights. These things do not commend us to God. Literally, the text says these things do not bring us close to God. Not one of these things brings us close to God. Oh, how arrogant we are to make much of these things as if they determine our godliness, as if they are measurements of our holiness. These things do not bring us close to God. And this food offered to idols doesn't either. But here's a warning, a word that we haven't seen in quite some time as a church, a hint that danger is very near. It's the word, watch out, the word, pay attention. And here it is in verse nine at the beginning, but take care. That's the word for watch out. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? That word encouraged in verse 10 is the same word build up used in verse two that was used of love. And so we see that knowledge builds up too, but when knowledge builds up, it becomes destructive. Watch this progression in verse 11. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Knowledge, if it builds up, can destroy, and worse, can destroy a person for whom Christ died. That language of Christ dying is the love language of God. That's a John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's a Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Knowledge, if it is not restrained by love, destroys, and it also wounds. Look at verse 12. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Someone who has a weak conscience is bruised easily. We sometimes wonder why a brother or sister acts the way that they do, and it's likely that when they were weak, a Christian wounded them with their knowledge. 
They are bruised believers. I wonder if there's a bruised believer listening right now. Koselman says it this way. The apostle would say to all who are strong, do not ignore the cross. Do not ignore the cross. Do not ignore the strength of God taking on human flesh, being wounded for our sin, and dying because our sin was strong. Our arrogance was strong. Our ignorance was strong. Our selfishness was strong. Our pride was strong, too strong for us. Do not ignore the cross. Vang says it this way, do not undo what Christ came to do. Use your knowledge to get yourself out of the way to show love for the other, the love of Christ, the love of God. And the apostle ends with these words in verse 13. The summation, the action point, he says, therefore, if food, if meat makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That's love. Do not cause a brother to stumble. Yes, some are weak, but Christ is strong and they need Christ. And I find my strength in Christ to forsake whatever I have a right to do so that my brother might become strong. As Christ gave up his rights for me, I give up my rights for my brother. That's love, the love of God from a knowledge of God. Warren Wearsby says this, knowledge must be balanced by love. How did God choose to communicate his knowledge of us and to us through love. In the Garden of Eden, the devil lied to God's creation and said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Knowledge becomes an idol when we allow it to make ourselves puffed up and like God. But Christ came with the knowledge of God, entered into our humanity, and Christ showed us God's knowledge by revealing it in God's love that acted. The serpent said to the woman in the garden, I know what God knows. But Jesus came to show us what God knows. God knows our sin, yet he loved us to make a way for it to be forgiven, covered and removed. Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures. God knows what has power over us, ultimately death and the grave. So the gospel says Christ was buried. God knows our future. On the third day, God raised Christ from the dead. Yes, God knows what the enemy knows too. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He will never die again. Second Corinthians four verse six says, for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And through Christ in us, this world will know God too. You wanna talk about food? John 4, 32, Jesus said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And then Jesus proceeded to say, it's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is, Jesus says, my flesh. Jesus will end that by saying, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Church, love builds up because love raised up. Revelation 2 verse 7 says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.